0: Do you travel often, perhaps to foreign places where you do not speak the language? Well, this week's giveaway is for you. Thanks to our partner, Beta, this week we'll be giving away three Pocket Talk voice translators. The Pocket Talk makes communicating with someone that speaks a different language super easy and enjoyable. It supports up to 74 languages and uses built-in mobile data to provide two-way foreign language translations in real time. Enter this week's giveaway for a chance to win a free Pocket Talk voice translator by going to www.mission.org giveaway, or try it out at your nearby beta store. Welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, Chad is joined by Nir Eyal, behavioral designer and best-selling author of Hooked. How to Build Habit-Forming Products, where he shares the process and product design and marketing to subtly encourage customer behavior. On today's episode, Nir joins us to discuss his brand new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, which dives into the why, why we are so easily distracted in today's fast-paced, tech-driven world, and how we can learn to focus our attention and be Indistractable.
1: Nir, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here, Chad. So we were talking before we uh, turned on the mics, and you were, I think it was three years ago now. That was the last time we met. Been a long time since then. A lot's changed, and you are now in New York, right? That's right. I moved. We, we met up in this in uh, on the Embarcadero in San Francisco, and you
2: were telling me about this. Little thing you got going where you publish a few essays here and there, you know, some, some posts on uh, Medium,
1: <laughs> and then of course, yep. you've blown up since then, which is absolutely amazing. I'm so proud of you. It's incredible. Congrats. Thanks. And uh, likewise, too, I think uh, back then it was fun to talk to you because you recognized all of the problems in the media landscape, the problems for creators, the problems for authors, and uh, have we started to make progress on those or is there not, uh, is it not on the horizon? Well,
2: you know, I th- I think it's the landscape is um That's a good question, actually. You know, I don't remember three years ago (laughs) what I advised. I hope I gave you good advice. I'm not really sure.
1: If we were to sum it up, it was that uh, creators are having a hard time monetizing their work. And it's hard for creators to create something for the long term now based on, you know, book advances and things of that nature. I think in terms of, of, you know, my
2: kind of industry now, I didn't start in this industry. When I started, I started a couple of tech companies and then I started writing and then I kind of fell into becoming an author with my first book, Hooked. I remember we talked about how authors today pretty much need to bring their own audience at the publisher. It used to be the publishers were the gatekeepers uh, and you had to have a big publisher because that's how you found your audience and got placed in bookstores. Well, today you, you have to have your own audience, right? Or the other publishers won't even give you the time of day. So you have to come to them with, you know, I have an email list of this size and I have a, a medium following of that size and social media presence
1: of this and that. So that, that hasn't changed. That's probably become more important. Definitely. And so your background, a lot of people who are listening are going to be familiar with your work. Some might not be. When you describe your background to somebody who has no idea what you do, um, how do you describe it? And uh, how do you describe the work you do now? Sure. So I am a
2: behavioral designer, a behavioral designer, someone who uses psychology to help people build the kind of products that form healthy habits in users and someone who uh, uses psychology to help people change their own behaviors. So my first book, Hooked, was really about how to build habit-forming products. And uh, knock on wood, the, the book's been, been pretty successful. We, we've just crossed about a quarter million copies, and uh, it's used uh, all over the world now. We are in 13 languages, this technique of, that I call the Hooked model, is about how we can use these principles from consumer psychology to help people form healthy habits, right? To help them exercise more, to save money, to be more productive at work. All of these things that we can do to build healthy habits through these amazing technologies that we're all carrying around with us in our pockets. But then in the process of being in this field, I also stumbled upon this problem that, you know, I certainly had, and I know many other folks do, is that many of these products are so well-designed that sometimes we find ourselves overusing them and we become distracted by them. And so that's what's led me to write my next book, Indistractable. Uh, Indistractable is about how do you control your attention and choose your life. Uh, I really do think that there are two types of people in the world and the world is increasingly bifurcating as such that you know, there, there are going to be people who allow their attention in their lives and their decisions to be manipulated uh, by other people. And there are the people who decide for themselves what they choose to pay attention to, what direction their life goes in. And if you don't know the techniques to become indistractable, I think it's going to be very hard uh, increasingly as technology becomes more pervasive and persuasive, it's going to be increasingly difficult to make the kind of decisions you want to make in life.
1: It's very timely to say the least. And I think one of the interesting arguments in your book is that it's not about swearing off devices. It's not about going to join a monastic order or anything like that. It's uh, a matter of getting control and kind of mastering your own psychology, right? That's right. I am I'm very pro-tech uh, and I
2: am an industry insider. Now, that doesn't make me a tech apologist. I think there's a lot of things that the tech industry should be held accountable for, especially when it comes to these big tech companies. And to be clear, I didn't write my, my first book for them. Right? I use them as case studies, right companies like Facebook and YouTube and Snapchat and Slack and Twitter. right These are the case studies so that everyone out there can build the kind of products and services that build healthy habits in users' lives and, that, and that's really what's happened over the past five years. I mean I, I have case study after case study of, of companies that have used the hooked model uh, described in my book to build healthy habits in people's lives, you know, getting them to exercise and save money, etc. But that being said, that, you know, in in this day and age, if we don't understand how to focus our attention, if we don't understand how to do what it is we say we're going to do, we will go off track. Uh, You know, so much advice out there uh, in the personal development sphere is about what to do, but right. basically, if you think about it, if you take a step back, we all know what to do, right? Who, who doesn't know that to be healthy, you have to eat right and exercise? Everybody knows that, right? A chocolate cake is less healthy than a salad. We, we know that you don't need to read a book to tell you that. Uh, we know that if you want to have better relationships to have a more fulfilling uh, marriage or, or or home life, you need to be fully present with people that you love. If right. you want to be really great at your job, you have to, Do the work, right? You have to focus on the task at hand and not constantly find your attention splintered in a million different directions. So we know what to do. The question is, why don't we do it? And so that's the central question of indistractable. And it turns out it's actually not a new problem. Uh, Socrates and Aristotle talked about this very same question 2,500 years ago, you know, well before YouTube and Reddit and all these modern distractions. This is not a new problem. And and so what I hope to do is to offer some novel solutions to a very old problem that can actually help us become indistractable.
1: Is becoming indistractable, let's unpack that a little bit and talk more about maybe the uh, goal for the book. Um, So I would love to hear, uh, Hooked was a big success, but I would love to hear your vision for this book and uh, what does it look like when Indistractable is read by 500,000 or a million people? Um, what are your kind of goals for this book?
2: Yeah, uh, from your mouth to God's ears—that would be terrific. <laughs> I mean, the, the reason I wrote this book, you know, I'll, I'll be very transparent with you. I I, I don't write books for money. Uh, I've sold two companies successfully. I'm not, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't going to make or break me if this book, uh, you know, does really well or not. I I wrote the book for me, very selfishly. I I found that. I was very distracted. And I'm the guy who knows from the inside out how these companies hook you. I wrote the book on it. And so when I found one day that I was with my daughter and we had this afternoon set aside to just be together and enjoy each other's company, we had this book of different activities. I recall it, You know, it was such an important moment for me. I remember exactly what we were doing at the time. We had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could play together, right? So like, make a paper airplane and do this, do that. And One of the activities was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I wish I could tell you what she said in that moment, but I can't, because when she was answering, I was busy looking at my screen on my cell phone. And by the time I looked back up, she was gone. She'd left the room. She got the message that she was less important than my device. And so that's when I knew I had to figure this out. I had to do something about this. And so I do what I always do when I have a problem I don't know the answer to. I I research. I read everything I can get my hands on. And uh, I didn't originally think about writing a book at first uh, because I thought, well, the answer must be out there. And so I read every book on the topic none of them worked. <laughs> Literally, all right. they all basically said the same thing. And, and the, the fact is most of the books out there are written not by academics, they're written by self-help people. Uh, and so they all basically say, say the same thing. Uh, go on a digital detox. Uh, you should meditate. Uh, you know, just get rid of the technology. Um, do a 30-day plan. And I tried all that stuff. Literally, I really tried it because I thought, you know, these books were telling me that technology was really the problem. That's what I should do. So I got myself a feature phone, you know, with no apps on it. I got a word processor from 1990s that I got uh, on eBay (laughs) with no internet connection. And I would sit down to write and writing is hard work, right? I frequently want to get distracted when I, when I'm writing and I'd, but I, but you know, now I couldn't, I had this word processor, you know, no, no Google, no email, just a word processor with no internet connection. And then I would say, you know, there's that book on my bookshelf that I've been meaning to read or there's that uh, uh, the desk probably should be cleaned or, you know, maybe I'll take out the trash real quick and I would still get distracted because I didn't deal with the real cause of distraction. And so what I found is that there's a real gap between what the self-help books say in terms of focus and
1: productivity and what the academic literature says. I just, I could not agree more. <laughs> I think that it's, yeah, there are so many root causes that are left out of the conversation these days.
2: That's right, that's right. And so everything I write about is not just, oh, this worked for me, so it's gonna work for you. Yes, the everything in the book is only the stuff that worked for me, but it came from a bunch of techniques that I tried and uh, most of them didn't work, so I only included the ones that did work. And every single one of these techniques is backed by years and years, decades of hard science, right? Peer review journal science. <laughs> it's not just, here's my little sure. hacky-poo. Uh, it's something that I actually brought in from my, my background, from uh, researching this field uh, for, for over a decade now. So this is stuff that really works. The problem was that a lot of people have these, these different productivity hacks kind of all over the place uh, in their minds. And what we need and what I, I didn't find was a picture right a model that helps explain how to use these different techniques to make sure that we do what it is we say we're going to do and so that was really the goal of this book so if you ask me okay what's your goal with this book my goal is to help people become indistractable, to help people do what they say they're going to do. Frankly, I don't care what it is that they want to do. If, they want, if you want to play video games, if you want to watch soap operas or whatever it is that you want to do, if it's consistent with your values and that's what you want to do with your time, great. I'm not one of these people who says, oh, video game's bad, but you know, watching football is somehow good. No, that's ridiculous. Sure. Whatever you do with your time is what I want you to do that with intent. That's the goal here. Right. Uh, so it's not about getting off technology. That's ridiculous, right? We need this stuff for our livelihood. It's about using this stuff with intent. And I, I think we can in the workplace, in our family lives, and most importantly, for ourselves, right? How, it's not just about tech distraction. It's about why don't we do all sorts of things we know we should, like live healthier lives, et cetera.
1: So let's start talking about some of these root issues, because I think that they're, uh, they're all over the map, but I'd be interested to know in your study of the research, were there you know, one or two central root causes of distraction or how how did you view that so okay let's start with how we define distraction what are we talking about when we say
2: this word distraction so in order to understand what is distraction we have to understand what the opposite of distraction is the opposite of distraction is traction traction is any action that you take that moves you towards what you want in life okay the word traction comes from the latin trahare which means to pull both traction and distraction come from the same Latin root and they both end in the same word, action. These are behaviors that we take. So I want you to picture in your mind, this is the, this is the picture, even if people don't buy the book, I don't really care. I want people to, to kind of sear this image in their mind, this picture. And the picture is, imagine a big plus mark, okay? On the horizontal line, you have two arrows pointing out. Now, these two arrows pointing out, one to the right, one to the left, represents traction on the right and distraction on the left. So, everything that moves you towards what you want in life, that's to the right. Every action that you take that moves you away is on the left, a distraction, okay? Now, we know what traction and distraction are. Now, you've got that vertical line that bisects the horizontal line on that plus mark. Now, think of this line with two arrows pointing towards the center, not pointing up and down, pointing towards the center. These lines represent triggers. Triggers are cues to action, and they move you to the right or to the left towards traction or towards distraction. Now, there are two types of triggers, one on the top, one on the bottom. The first kind that you'll, you'll know are the external triggers. This is what most people think about when they think about distraction. The ping, the dings, the rings, all of these things that interrupt you and move you towards distraction throughout your day. But there's nothing necessarily wrong with these external triggers. If they help you do what you wanted to do, like, you know, uh, get up in the morning or go work out or meet with a friend or that phone call you planned, that's not a bad thing, right? These are, they help you move towards traction. So those are external triggers. Put that at the bottom of the plus mark. At the top of the plus mark with the arrow that's pointing towards the center are the internal triggers. Internal triggers... Are things that prompt us to action, but where the trigger is not outside of us. It's not a ping, ding, or ring. It's not something outside of us, but it's something we do because of something we feel from mm-hmm. inside of us. And to answer your question, this was the biggest revelation I had with this book is that we have to face the fact that most distraction starts from within. We want to blame Facebook, we want to blame our iPhones, we want to blame our boss and our colleagues for constantly interrupting us. But what the research reveals is that most distraction is a reaction to a negative emotion. When we're Hmm. bored, we check YouTube. When we're uncertain, we Google. When we're lonely, we check Facebook, right? So that means that if our behavior is prompted by these internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states, That means that time management is pain management and nobody talks about that. People give you all these techniques and tricks and hacks. Well said. That's bold. I like it.
1: None of them work unless you first start with the internal triggers. And those internal triggers, uh, I think that's great that you uh, have already gone that deep because that can be painful to talk about, right? For a a lot of folks, uh, I feel like There aren't that many people, I think, that have those conversations with friends and family members uh, about those internal triggers. Is that where it starts? Because oftentimes if we're, you know, getting pulled in one direction or if we are distracted, it's very hard to get a vantage point outside of our own consciousness. Right. It's hard to get that expert advice. So how do you recommend people go about like triangulating or figuring out what these triggers are?
2: Yeah, so essentially there are two things that you can do about these internal triggers. You can either fix the source of the problem or you can learn tactics to cope with the discomfort. Now, the best thing to do is to fix the discomfort, right? Whatever it is that's causing you the emotional discomfort that you seek to escape. I mean, this is the common element with distraction or distractions, ugly, more extreme cousin, addiction, is all of, all of these behaviors, these self-harming behaviors, whether it's distraction or addiction, is about an escape from an uncomfortable reality. We have to come to grips with that. That's what these things provide us. And there's nothing wrong necessarily with an escape, right? When we watch a movie, we enjoy escaping reality for a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. The idea is, are we doing it because we can't cope any other way? Are we doing it because we don't like... Uh, our present reality so much that we have gotten into the habit of escaping, whether we like that bad habit that, or potentially that addiction or not, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Are we doing it with intent? Are we sitting down to escape for a little while, in, while intentionally or because we do not have the techniques uh, and the practices to find a healthy way to cope with that discomfort? So half the book is about stuff that you can do, this four-part model uh, that we just described, the, the uh, traction, distraction, internal triggers, external triggers. There are things that we can do for each of those four parts. That's about half the book. The other half of the book is about how we fix the problems that create the internal triggers in the first place, right? right. That a lot of these internal triggers for most people come to us from the workplace, right? That many people work in workplace environments that are soaked in a toxic workplace culture that perpetuates this constant checking of our phones because people are scared and they're out of control. And so if we don't fix the corporate culture that causes these internal triggers, you know, we'll keep blaming the technology, but I'm telling you the technology is not the root cause. The same goes with our kids. Parents have loved to blame every new technology for driving, you know, for making kids crazy because they don't like their behavior. But I'm telling you, it's not the technology that is, is causing today's problems. It's, there's a deeper cause there in the workplace, in our relationships, with our kids' lives that we need to focus on in order to
1: fix those problems. But the good news is we can fix those problems. <laughs> I tell you in the book exactly how to do that. Awesome. And if are there any uh, strategies or tips that come to mind? Um, I think it would be really cool to start with kind of like people's local world And maybe talk about some things they can do in their family life to better prepare if they are entering a toxic corporate environment or whatever the case is. Uh, But then we can talk about corporate life after that. Yeah, I think going through some strategies uh, to help people in their immediate day to day, that would be really cool. Sure, sure. So let's let's talk about things that you can do for yourself
2: that you can take responsibility now and and do something about distraction. Because look, these distractions are not your fault. Okay, you didn't invent YouTube, you didn't invent email, you didn't create these distractions in your life. Right. So they're not your fault, but they are your responsibility because they're not going away, and you can do something about them. Right. And here's what you do about them. The four steps are starting from the top of that plus mark that I have in your head, the internal triggers. First thing we do is to, we master those internal triggers. and There's several strategies that we can talk about how to master those internal triggers. The second step is to make time for traction, right? We're going clockwise here around the plus mark. So traction True. side, we make time for traction. Then at the bottom of the plus mark, we, we hack back the external triggers. And then finally, the fourth step, and it has to be done in order, is that we prevent distraction with pacts. And so that's the strategy. You know, strategy is more important than tactic. Tactics is what you do. Strategy is why you do it. So what I wanted to give people is the, the overarching strategy. And once they understand that, well, then there are tactics after tactics after tactics in the book that they can use to actually, you know, implement the strategy. So we can go, you know, if any of those areas, you know, if there's maybe a particular distraction in your life that you want to try and tackle, or, you know, then I can kind of help you diagnose what tactics you should use. But the idea is that, you know, when you understand the strategy, you can come up with your own tactics as well as the ones that I, I provide.
1: Definitely. Um, so, th- I mean, the things I'm struggling with right now, it's got to be time management, especially with emerging opportunities because some of the things that we're doing right now are pretty time sensitive and that causes my schedule to shift a bit, which then throws the company's schedule out of whack a little bit. So we've kind of got a, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say a key man problem. We've got an amazing team and everything, uh, but I just need to get better at time management. And uh, because, I mean, recently, I would say like two months ago now, I just kind of got it to a tipping point where I was very aware of how much pain I was in and it, w- it was ready to do something about it. Um, and so, I mean, we two months ago made a couple key hires. Uh, my wife joined full time from Google. Finally, uh, another really talented uh, VP joined the team and that immediately canceled out a lot of the pain. That was great. Um, however, there's still some things I need to work on there with time management. So that's kind of, yeah, to get selfish and interject that, that's kind of where I'm at. I, that's great. I love it. I love it. So the first step is to understand
2: why you get distracted. So are you getting distracted? Like give me a scenario where you would find yourself wanting to do one thing and then you end up doing something else.
1: Yeah. So a perfect example would be, um, we're currently looking into buying a business in order to get that business and a uh, lease um, in downtown San Francisco. This is uh, <laughs> not a pleasant thing to do, um, commercial real estate in San Francisco is obviously really high priced. Um, so basically just putting that together in the background on top of everything else I'm doing is, uh, just, yeah, just starting to add up. I see. So you've got this big project you need to accomplish and there's, it's a multi-step
2: process, yep. uh, and you're having difficulty finding time in your day along with all your other stuff that you're doing.
1: Yes. And, uh, the opportunity came up, uh, did not plan for it, but after we started going through everything, it was just something we couldn't pass up um, because, yeah, it was a rare moment in time. So sometimes you have to jump on those, as you know. (laughs) Totally, totally. Okay,
2: so there are three causes and only three causes for any distraction. Those three causes are either an internal trigger, so something inside of you, right? So an emotion, a negative emotion, boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, whatever it might be. The second reason is an external trigger, so a ping ding, a, a colleague saying, "Hey, you have to, I have to talk to you right now. We have to talk about this." Uh, you know, those are all sources of external triggers. Or the third reason is a planning problem. A planning problem is when we haven't properly budgeted time for the things that we say we want to do. So, part of the solution to this problem, let me ask you: Do you have time on your calendar? How do you how do you structure your day? Do you do you use time boxing by chance? Yeah, just. Uh Plan everything out on the calendar and then adjust accordingly if need to. Okay, and you you have a list of to do lists on your to do list. I'm assuming, right?
1: Yeah. So we use uh, Basecamp for to dos and uh, then just basically Basecamp and calendars and Slack. Okay. And so did you have on your calendar? I'm sure you had it on your to do list. You know, figure out this leasing situation. Did you have time on your calendar allocated for that? I did not have extra time. I did have time for, uh, you know, a couple of like the trips to the city and meeting different people from, uh, you know, to get like an entertainment license and all the the things that we needed to do. Um, So, yeah, I always put those on the calendar. However, it's just clear that this is going to require to really finish the project and then finish the updates to the space and everything. It's going to require way more time. And I'm probably just a little fearful about budgeting how much time that's actually going to take. I probably don't even, (laughs) I know how much time it's going to take and I just, uh, it's just kind of a hard uh, trade-off to make at this point, but one that's going to be, uh, you know, pay dividends a couple months down the road. Yeah. So you have
2: just talked about, uh, I don't even know if you realize, but you just talked about these two first steps to becoming indistractable right the the, the obvious one is we got to make time for the thing that we want to do that you know many of us including me before i learned this methodology you know so many productivity books say we'll just put everything on a to-do list and if you th- put things on a to-do list uh whether it's a group to do or a personal to do it just get done and right. we know that's not true. <laughs> we're horrible at planning out outputs. We're really, we're really good at, at wishing about, uh, upon these outputs, right? I want this done, I want this done, I want, want this done. But that's of course ridiculous unless we first put in the inputs. And the only input that you have control over is your time. So everything on your to-do list has to have a place on your calendar, okay? Right. The to-do list is only half of the solution. The other half is that unless it has time on your calendar, there's no way to get done. It's just guaranteed anxiety. Yep. So this, the interesting thing here is that you jumped to this other problem, which is actually the, the first root cause of the problem. You said you're fearful of how much time this task would take. And so Definitely, you see there's, yeah. you're avoiding the task because of this uncomfortable sensation. Fear is uncomfortable. We want to escape Fear, And there's all kinds of ways to do that. We can distract ourselves with the news. We can distract ourselves with a different project. We can distract ourselves with watching a sports match. Well, whatever. I mean, there's endless distractions to take our minds off of our feelings. But the fact is now that you have clarity on why you're avoiding this, you can do something about it right? So the idea isn't to beat yourself up, you know, that we know that self-compassion is one of the most defining traits of people who are, are high-performing people. They are very self compassionate with themselves. So the idea here is to talk to yourself the way you would talk to a friend, right? If you had another friend, uh, you know, Chad 2.0, and you were talking to him and he came to you with this problem. He said, I'm really fearful about how much time this task is going to take. I'm not really sure what to do here. And you, you're, you're using the indistractable model. What you would say is, "Okay." You know, how do we first deal with those, those emotions? How can we deal with them in a healthier manner? And there's a few techniques that we can go through to do that. And then second, to get very practical about it, where is the time on your calendar to do that thing you need to do? And it right. might not be, okay, you know, execute the entire thing tomorrow, but how much time is consistent with the work that you need to get done, with your values of what you need to get done at work, what's valuable to your company? How much time is, is needed in your day to move that project forward if it's an important priority for you? And then what we're going to do is every day, if that's how frequently your schedule changes, we're simply going to review that calendar. Now, for most people, they don't need to review it every day. Uh, for, for, in my case, for example, I just review it once a week. And then what we're doing is, we're, and this is a critical step, we're synchronizing our calendar with our stakeholders. That many people out there, you know, they have a bunch of to-dos that their boss just throws on their plate. And they're just expected to do it with this magic time uh, that is, you know, their boss thinks is never ending. And that's not true. We have a limited number of hours per day. So the idea here is that you're synchronizing with your teammates, with your colleagues, with your boss around where you're spending your time. And this only takes literally five to ten minutes. And, you know, for, for someone like me, I'm doing this with my colleagues once a week right? But that critical synchronizing process, I do this also in my home life with my wife around the different stuff that needs to happen in the home and our schedules. That synchronization process is super, super important because now you're defining how you're going to spend your time. It's called turning your values into time. Is that, is that helpful?
1: Yeah, no, I I love that. And I can already see how to kind of like improve alignment uh, on the team uh, around budgeting time and, and all those things, because we recently just mapped out what uh, every single part and process of our business takes in terms of uh, people's time. Um, and so we have a rough idea now of how much time we need to allocate if we want to publish an episode within a week or, you know, whatever the case is, uh, getting that type of granular uh, things, you know, figured out and that type of predictability. That's been great. These aren't fixed, right? This isn't something sure, that you sure. want and
2: you're like, ah, oh, I've got the perfect calendar schedule forever and ever. No. You know, so I'm going to give you a link that you can put in the show notes for a, a free tool I built. Anybody can use it. I was just frustrated that I couldn't find something really, really simple to make what's called a calendar template. So I actually build it in the schedule maker tool. And what you do, basically, you, you create your ideal week individually right? So everybody in your team, you as well, should create what your ideal week looks like. And I want you to fill up every minute of your day. Okay. Now this might sound militant. It's actually nowhere near as hard as you think it is. It just, you know, maybe it's going to take you like 30 minutes, but I want you to put on that calendar, how your value, you know, I want that calendar to reflect your values. A lot of us, we, you know, we talk a good game. We say, oh, what's most important to you? Oh, my family, my health. That's what's most important to you. But if I looked at most people's calendars, in fact, two thirds of people Keep no calendar whatsoever. And right. even the third who do rarely use it, it turns out. You know, it's a dentist appointment here or something like that. Instead, what we want to do is we want to plan out every minute of our day so that we can look at this calendar and have it reflect our values. So do you have time for yourself, what I call the me domain? Do you have time for your relationships, right? Your, your community, your friends, your family, your children, your significant other. Is that on your calendar? And then, of course, the, the most time is with our work. So with the values that you have in your company, the things that are valuable to you, do you have time for those specific tasks on your calendar? And then one of the most important things you have to put on that calendar is time to review the calendar. For most people, it's literally once a week for 15 minutes to make sure that you don't need to make any adjustments. And then week after week, you're, you know, you're giving a half an hour more here, or you're know, taking an hour there for you know, whatever might pop up, and you're adjusting it over time. So if you see, oh, it takes us this long to make an episode, okay, we might need to adjust that because we're learning over time how long things take, or maybe that is no longer a priority whatsoever, and so that, that work block is completely sure. freed up for something else now. We're making adjustments on a regular basis to make sure that our, our calendars still reflect traction and then for the first time, and this is really the aha moment where it becomes super useful, now we know the difference between traction and distraction. Right. Traction is whatever it is you planned to do. Anything you're doing that's not that on your calendar is a distraction. But if we don't keep a calendar like this, then everything is a distraction, right? Every Even productivity things, right? Like worky things, like checking email. If you're checking email when you really wanted to work on the big project or work on this real estate deal, that's a distraction. Completely.
1: Right? I love it. And could you elaborate a little bit more on uh, syncing or maybe if you could, if you're willing to describe how you and your wife go over things, um, especially if you're like recapping the uh, the week I would be really interested to hear what's your uh, strategy like there. Yeah, totally. So I'll get very personal here. So my wife and I had so many
2: fights about domestic responsibilities. You and me both. You and me both. I hear this from a lot of a lot of guys, unfortunately, and and in fact, it's not just us. You know the the, the there's been several studies that I cite in the book that show that in heterosexual couples where both people work outside the home, despite the fact that, you know, they should be equally sharing household responsibilities. Unfortunately, the fact is women still bear the brunt of those household responsibilities, all those admin tasks. And I hate to say it to you, but this was definitely the case in my household that, um, you know, one of my values is to have, a marriage built on equality, right? I don't want to be a mooch. I don't want you know to, to stick my wife with a bunch of of crappy tasks that she has to do. I, I, if that's one of my values, then I should you know hold up my end of the of the bargain. And I wasn't. I just wasn't because she would do stuff and then complain about doing that stuff. And of course, I would tell her, "Well, why did you do that stuff? Just tell me to do it, and I'll do it." But what I didn't realize is that by me asking her to tell me to do something i was actually creating more work for her and what she really needed me to do is to step up and just do the stuff right and so the solution was to synchronize the solution was to sit down and this, this literally didn't take us more than 30 minutes it sounds like it's a big deal it really wasn't once we figured out the answer so sit down and actually write down what are all the admin tasks that we do, right? What do we have to do for my daughter? What do we have to do around the house? You know, who pays the bills? All, this, all these tasks, we just get them all in one place. And then we figure out how much time they take and we literally put them in our calendars. So, there's no more guesswork, right? She knows that it's my responsibility to make sure the mortgage is paid because it's in my calendar to do right. financial planning stuff it's there in my calendar. There is a spot for it, right? And, and it goes the same way for stuff that we have to do for our, for our daughter, for stuff that we have to do around the house. We know not only what needs to get done, but when it needs to get done. Okay, so for example, meal planning for the week, you know, we, we make all our meals for the week. It saves us a ton of time. That's on my calendar every Saturday. That's what I do. I have two hours to do the meal planning for the rest of the week. It's my job. And it has revolutionized Uh, our relationship. Our relationship is so much better. So many fewer arguments, so many fewer tears because every week we synchronize. So literally we sit down, takes us five minutes every Sunday night and we look at each other's calendar and we say, okay, you're going to take our daughter here. Then you're going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. Okay. Are we synchronized for the week? Yep. We get what we're doing for the week in terms of our, our mutual calendars and that's it. It's a five minute exercise and it, it has saved us so much heartache. But again, this would only work if we
1: individually kept those time box calendars. That's going to have to be our uh, model going forward because we try to review calendars, but we don't really have a set time to do it. And, you know, if you don't have a set time to do it, you don't have time. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely, I-, I love that, uh, that idea. Um, I would be curious to know, too how did you, because there are certain household tasks that can be automated. There are certain ones that certain people don't mind doing. Um, how did you think about, you know, getting help for certain things or just uh, doing it yourself or having your wife do something? Um, did you just draw straws or what was that like? Yeah. So, so, you know, with, with certain tasks, it's just a,
2: it's a discussion, it's a negotiation. And and for us, there are certain tasks that, uh, we, we used to do begrudgingly (laughs) that, uh, uh, now we, we pay for. So, you know, now we, uh, we have every few weeks, we have someone help us out and clean the house, you know, do like a deep cleaning Uh, during the week. We, you know, we pick up after ourselves, of course, but then, uh, you know, it's not something we, we took us a long time to be comfortable with that. We both grew up in, in uh, first generation immigrant families, uh, where that was not, you know, you you wouldn't spend money on having someone come clean your house.
1: I think that's, that's where we're at is we're we're starting to jump in. We're basically just, uh, trying to stop, uh, beating ourselves up about the fact that we're, you know, able to hire out some, you know, have help. And we're very fortunate in that regard. Uh, but it's hard to not feel guilty about it. There's a lot of problems that money can't solve,
2: okay? A lot of things you just have to work through yourself or just impractical. You, know, you, you can't Uber everything. Right. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to some things, you can hire help. Uh, and even if it's, it's actually, you know, the, the, the breaking point should be if your hourly rate is exactly. above What you would pay someone else to do that job, then you may want to consider having someone help you with that task, right? So
1: sure, let let economics work for you. Like, yeah, don't fight it. uh, And you know, the extra, even you know, even if you are a housekeeper, for example, if your hourly rate is equal to
2: or more than hiring a housekeeper yourself, you may want to spend that time getting new business, hiring new employees, right, growing your company as opposed to doing the actual house cleaning for your own home. (laughs) Right. So you know, that, it, it does become a math equation at, at some point if it is a, a problem that, that money can solve. But again, you know this is very recent. Even though we, we probably could have afforded it earlier, uh, it took us a while to figure out, okay, what things can we, can we hire someone to do versus things that we do ourselves?
1: Definitely. So the book comes out September 10th. That's the release date. I'm curious, what's your uh, promotional plan look like and how have you thought about uh, getting the book out there? Um, as you alluded to earlier, that's uh, kind of the job of authors now. So, yeah, what's your plan? Yeah, so, you know, I, I have a lot of subscribers, thankfully,
2: over the years, uh, who, who like to read my, uh, my writing. So, I, I publish something new about every two weeks or so uh, on my blog, nearandfar.com. Uh, Near is like my first name, N-I-R, so nearandfar.com. And I'm going to continue writing and uh, podcasts. That's one, one medium. And uh, I'll, I'll continue syndicating. I mean, that's kind of how people hear about me. They read my writing by uh, so a lot of the syndication I do of my
1: articles. And I'd be curious to know, too, while you're here, while you're joining us, uh, you're also a really prolific investor. So if you don't mind sharing about that, I'd be curious to know... Uh, you know, what's your investment thesis? And uh, are you still investing actively? Yeah, I do. I, I, um, so I do these office hours every week that anybody
2: who's read my books can call me if they have a question. I, this is actually one of the techniques I describe in Indistractable that saved me so much time because I used to get these emails of, hey, you know, can I take you out to coffee? I just want to pick your brain. And, you know, even, even when I think back in, earlier in my career, uh, you know, the amount of, of meetings that people would call. So instead, what I do is I have these office hours where where if somebody says, Hey, can I just pick your brain for a few minutes? I say no problem, but you have to wait. <laughs> and so I have this online tool. Anyone can, can book uh, time with me. It's, it's free, uh, but they have to wait a little bit for these office hours. And so every Thursday I do these office hours in 15 minute increments. And uh, it's, you know, based for, for people who have read my book and, you know, have a question about it or, you know, are building a business. They want to be habit forming, but maybe they've, they've had some stumbling blocks. And so they, they, we just chit chat for 15 minutes or so. That's my deal flow. So every year I'll find, you know, one to two companies out of the hundreds that I talk to every year that I think, wow, this is a, this is a really good idea. <laughs> so that's sure. how I found Anchor.fm. Uh, that's a company that just sold to Spotify for $140 million. And they were, uh, they, they called me and said, hey, we have some questions about your hook model. We read your book. Um, you know, are we doing this right? And uh, I just love the product and they were kind enough to let me invest. So that's that's kind of my... My process. I, I don't invest in in things I don't understand. Uh, my specialty is habit forming products, so I only look for companies where some kind of habit uh, is the the critical factor of success for the company. So I don't do biotech. I don't do you know a lot of things I don't have any competency, and I only focus on uh, high engagement products, whether it's enterprise or consumer web. That's kind of my sweet spot.
1: Very cool. And uh, other investments you made include uh, I think I'm getting this right. Eventbrite, uh, WorkLife. Product hunt and companies like that. Yeah, yeah. Marco Polo, uh, they, that that company's doing well. Yeah, I think I'm. I've got about twenty or so companies now. Very cool. So, near if there's a final thought or thought experiment or mental model that you would leave every listener with, uh, what would that be?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's it's a message I'd like to convey, and that you know, I think I want people to know that they are more powerful than they understand when it comes to managing distraction. And I think that there's this. There's this drumbeat recently with this tech lash that technology is hijacking our brains, that uh, we, we are getting addicted. There's nothing we can do about it. And in fact, that is a really harmful message. It's called learned helplessness. When you hear these kind of messages and people believe these messages, it becomes true. Right? You stop Acting accordingly, you stop, you know, exercising your agency to do something about this stuff because you believe that your brain is being hijacked, and nothing is further from the truth. So I want people to realize that there's a lot we can do. Right? That that that, uh, if you asked me my superpower, back to the, the the story I told you about being with my daughter and we were asking each other what superpower would you want, the superpower I would want is the power to become indistractable. But the good news is it's not really a superpower, right? It's not like Batman or, or, uh, or Superman's superpower. It's, it's a power anybody can have
1: if we know what to do, if we know how to put distraction in its place. Sure, I, I love that. And uh, final extra encore question. Uh, so what was your daughter's superpower? You didn't hear it the first time, but has she uh, forgiven you and gone back and uh, told you? Yeah, so as I was working on on this book, uh, I actually asked her later
2: on. I said, "Look, I'm I'm really sorry. I didn't hear you the first time. Uh, what what superpower would you want now? Right? Like you know, let me ask you the question again. What what superpower would you want?" And her superpower now, she said, would be to always be kind that's what she said is he a, a, sh- a sweetheart or what <laughs> powerful and i love that i love that answer too because it's 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 the same with becoming indistractable we all have the power to be kind right we don't need to be bitten by a radioactive spider like spider-man to, to have our superpower we all have this power
1: if we know how to to implement these techniques so cool Nir. thanks for being generous with your time this has been a blast and uh yeah, if you haven't read Hooked, it's out there and Indistractable will be out there September 10th. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was great. I appreciate it. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio and Katera who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right.